I'm Benson Varghese, and I'm sitting here today with Christopher Monroe as we continue our second shot series. Chris, thank you for being here this afternoon. Last time we talked, we were able to cover so much of your compelling story of how life in prison actually changed you for the better and put your life on a new track. Today, we're going back to where it all began. So tell me, where were you born and what was life like for you as a young child? I was born in San... First of all, thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I was born in San Diego, California. Uh, childhood for me was a mixed, a mixed pot. It was full of adventure and fun, ocean, skateboarding, sports, but it also had an element of tragedy where a lot of drug use, domestic violence, and uh, poverty, you know, exposure to poverty. Um, Who are your parents? Do you have any siblings? I do. I have one sister, uh, my mother. Her name was Patricia. My birth father, his name was Brett. He passed when I was around three years of age. And then I have a stepfather by the name of Zachary who passed while I was in prison. And in between those two, I have some less likely father figures involved in my life. Who were you closest to in your family? My mother. Were your grandparents uh, a significant part of your life growing up? It's a really good question. So, so absolutely. My grand, my grandparents were the, were the anchor to a, a better part of life for us. You know, they were the, the light on the, sh- on the hill. They were the shining light on the hill for us. They were the people that we couldn't wait to go see, pack up in a car, bundle up and, and go all the way across town, down the eight, all the way down into Claremont, uh, you know, they were amazing people. Uh, my grandfather was a Marine who experienced the war, and my grandmother was a Russian immigrant who uh, came over. They were very family-oriented, and just they were just amazing people, you know, as I recall. Yeah. Were they amazing to you because of how they loved on you and your family, or what stands out in your mind about your grandparents? I, I think the reason why the obvious reason why they stood out and why they still stand out today is because, uh, you know, I had a troubled childhood, but even through that troubled childhood, you're able to see what life is supposed to be like, right? Not everybody experiences life on life's terms as you do. Everybody has a different hand. And my grandfather and my grandmother were amazing in the sense that they kept it together. They showed us that there was another side of life. Yeah. They gave you a lot to aspire to. Yes, absolutely. You talked about some father figures. And in that list is perhaps not your birth father since he was only in your life for the first three years. You may not have a lot of memories from that time. And then you mentioned your stepfather, Zachary. Yes. Uh, Was Zachary a father figure for you? (sighs) Zachary did the best he could. Zachary was a man driven to see me succeed. I think he wanted to see me succeed in some things that maybe I wasn't as interested in succeeding as he was. However, he was um, he, he was an, a, a god a godsend in the sense that he was our transition. He was the man that helped my family transition out of a very dark time. 
And I think, you know, if we if we at some time speak about Zachary in a little more depth, you'll get to understand what I mean by this. But he he couldn't quite understand what we had been through, but he knew he was needed there, I think. What ages was Zachary in your life? Zachary was around from, I want to say the seventh grade. So about 12, 12, 12 to 35. Okay. So your formative years on into young adulthood. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned some dark times that he helped your family get through and you get through. What kind of dark times? So, so Zachary came into my life at a time where, you know, uh, my mother, if, if we haven't spoke about it just yet, my mother had a really rough time. She experienced a lot of domestic abuse. She had her run-ins with drugs. She was, uh, she had a run-in with drugs for quite a time. She, she had her own addictions and battled her own uh, demons for quite some time. And uh, it was Zachary who came into our life while those battles were still happening and became a rock for our family, became that sober presence and uh, that caring individual who who cared enough to say no and pushed enough to make you uncomfortable to be better. He came in and tried to clean up the mess, right? Earlier you mentioned one of the things you went through was poverty. And I'm trying to imagine your mother who, uh, when you're very young, essentially becomes a single mom and she's trying to raise you, what kind of financial struggles did you see her go through? I mean, so the struggles that I witnessed her go through at the time when I witnessed them, like I I never really knew that they were, I never really thought about them as financial. I just knew that, that mom had a problem. Mom wasn't acting normal. Uh, Mom was always being hurt by men both physically and verbally. I, I witnessed all of that. I witnessed us, you know, uh, not having money for certain things, uh, being homeless. I guess I, I never really thought about that. You know, even though I was young, I knew that what was going on was crazy and that, you know, that her priorities were out of whack. I, I knew that that we were not a normal family. I knew that money, when it was scarce, didn't have to be scarce. Uh, I knew we weren't normal because of the things that we were experiencing. So like, instead of a financial difficulty, like maybe just like life, diff- like life choices and, and life challenges. And, and, and she, like, you know, we would bounce around from house to house and we would do random things and we would be borrowing food and we would uh, be in church outreach programs and we would, uh, mom would never have a job and uh, we would rely on grandma and grandpa for food. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I never really, I never really thought about it financially. I just knew that we were going through it. I just knew that like when we had to sleep in a car or when we were, when we had to walk to the emergency rooms all the way across town or when we, you know, were staying with random people or when mom had to send us away because 
there wasn't ample or she couldn't take care of us. Like I just knew that, that there was a struggle there. You know, even then I, I didn't know it was drugs. I just knew something was wrong. Despite there being a lot of darkness around you, there were things in your life that brought you joy. Sports was one of those things. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into sports and how that brought you some joy. Sports, sports for me was always something nat- natural, whether it, it was something on wheels, uh, whether it was on the court, whether it was on the diamond, whether it, you know, it was a, for me, sports was a place where I could go and forget. It was a moment where I could be with a group of people who had the same common interests and I didn't have to think about what was wrong, what was going on. It was a time where like I could be somewhere and just have fun. Uh, I just happened to be really good at it uh, naturally. And despite my story, like basketball, right? Basketball is something that I was just naturally good at, but I never wanted to play it. What was the first sport you got into? I want to say it was baseball. Baseball. Uh, my grandfather had a lot to do with that. He was, you know, he was an old Marine steeped in baseball culture. I think he played semi-pro baseball at, at one point. He wanted me to play baseball, but in some strange sense, I think I wanted to play baseball for him too. I, I was just kind of, sort of wanted to make Grandpa proud. So baseball was my very first uh, sport. I didn't last as long as I thought uh, I would there. But I gave it a shot. Did you find a new love? I did. What was that? Skateboarding. Tell us about skateboarding as it... Oh, man. What is there not to love about skateboarding? Uh, you you know, like, so we talk about the family unit and and, and, and the problems I had and, and, and the darkness. And, 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 you know, along with all of those things comes this sense of isolation. I think the biggest thing for me dealing with a childhood that was full of domestic abuse, drugs, uh, violence, uh, desolation, you know, was the fact that I often felt alone. Yeah. I often felt like there wasn't in my unit, in my family unit, in the household, that there was really no time to ever bond because we were always picking up the pieces. We were always trying to figure out where we were going or, uh, if he was coming back or if, 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 drastic measures needed to be taken right and so you hear me talk about sports and escaping skateboarding gave me uh one of the biggest rewards in life that to this day uh i've ever had and that is um just this amazing sense of camaraderie and it might be a California thing, right? It might be like a, a, a concrete sunset beach rolling in. You, you call it what you want to call it. But uh, it was, for me, the first time that I ever really got to be myself. Well, it's interesting. You went from a team sport to something that is essentially done on an individual basis, but you found community. Yes, it, it, it really is like, right. So it is an individual basis, but you never are, you're never going at it alone. Yeah. There's always somebody rooting you on. There's always somebody encouraging to do the next big trick. There's always somebody like helping you get up after you fall. Uh, 
and not knocking you for who you are. I think, I think a big reason why I fell in love with skateboarding is because I've always been sort of like my own individual. Like I've always had a knack for style. I've always had a knack for crazy things like, uh, whether it be fashion, art, uh, music, and uh, skateboarding allowed me to explore and dive deep into those things without a sense of judgment. So who introduced you to basketball? <laughs> okay, so we spoke briefly about Zachary, but uh, as Zachary's entering the picture to my, in, into my life, my sister at this time is just phenomenal at basketball. Like, um, she is the poster child for coming up, right? We are just so proud of my sister. She is really setting this, the bar, right? She's, she's, she's really leading by example. She's uh, putting in the work. She's climbing the ladder. She's, she's, she's becoming noticed. Everybody around, I used to live in a little town called El Cajon, sitting up El Cajon in San Diego. Everybody knew her name. She was a superstar. And uh, she, she was playing and doing this and, and doing that. And so one day out of the clear blue sky, Zachary uh, was like, hey, let's, let's go shoot some hoops. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, all right, I guess I'll go. And, and so we went, we went to uh, LMS, Lakeside Middle School. And we got on the blacktop and we started playing. And I think I might have been, I think I was around 12, 12 years old. And so we started playing and, you know, before I knew it, he was keeled over and a little bit concerned about like what was going on. And like he couldn't understand what was going on. And I was just sort of naturally moving out there. And we got home later that night and he told my mom, he said, he said, Tanya's amazing at basketball, but you need to get this kid on the court. And uh, the rest is history. Um, from, from that day forward, they started, you know, hurting me to play basketball. And I mean, I, I, I was okay with it, right? I was okay with it. You know, I, I think at that point in my life, I was okay with getting recognized for anything that, you know, getting positive praise for anything. And so I was, uh, I was okay with it. Uh, but they saw something, Zach saw something in me that nobody had seen at that point. So had you ever played basketball before then? No. So very first day to essentially pick up a basketball and play your natural talent is just undeniable. Yes. Okay. So did you continue to play basketball through high school? I did. I did. How, how big a part of your life was basketball at that point? Basketball at, basketball at that point became my identity. Um, I went to three different high schools. I went to a private Christian school and then went to Granite Hills and a place called El Cap. And I was, you know, uh, I wasn't recruited, but I was recruited. You know, it became my identity. I was a big kid, quick, athletic. Uh, I was, I had some rhythm. I had some upside. You know, I wasn't awkward. So people noticed me 
at this time in my life, basketball became like an unstoppable force. I, it was, it was quickly decided that this was the only way that I was going to get out of this. I don't want to say like hereditary, but like this generational curse, right? It was, my sister was going to do it. Then I was going to do it. And then mom was going to be successful and Zachary was going to be successful. And we were going to get up out of the dirt. We were going to get up out of the mud and be successful. And so from that day forward, it was presumed that this is what I was going to be doing. And this is where we're going to allocate, or this is where we're going to point all of our attention. Everything that we do at this point moving forward is going to be so that you can go to college and get up out of, you know, what we, what we've had. We want, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't a good, good faith. We want you to do better than, than what we have. Right. So, uh, it, it became my identity. It was weekends, weekdays. It was nonstop. It was, uh, where's the next tournament? Where's the AAU teams? Who do we need to talk to? How can we get into this tournament? You know, it was, it was nonstop. That's all I knew. And, um, it was just all I knew. It, it, it was all I knew. Talk to us about AAU teams and what that means. So an AAU team is really like the cream of the crop of the high school, uh, backdrop right okay. so let's say let's say you have 300 <clears throat> high school kids maybe maybe 60 of them are going to be elevated to the AAU tournament and it's you know there's if you're good enough you don't pay right and I, that's kind of how my, my parents marketed me we didn't have a lot of money but I was young and gifted so they would just showcase me at these places I would get recruited to an AAU team and then boom off for the summer I would be traveling and oftentimes these AAU teams, if you get selected on a on a on a, on a, a, a well enough or a good enough team, you get a sponsorship like a Nike or a Reebok or Adidas. And I was sponsored by Nike on AAU teams. Uh, I played with some pretty pretty big name people. Um, but yeah, AAU team is just sort of a high school select team, the best of the best. It's really the kids who are getting ready to leave to Division One. Okay, so when you first picked up. A basketball at age 12. How tall do you think you were at that point? Oh, man. My knees were probably wider than I was tall. Uh, so you had not hit that growth spurt yet? No, my knees were waiting. Every, yeah, my knees were growing at that point, but not me. I think I might have been like six foot, six, six, about six foot. Okay. Maybe. That's tall. Okay. Yeah, for that age, okay. that's tall. Absolutely. Okay. I, okay. Uh, some of us are still waiting to get to six feet, <laughs> okay. right? In high school, how tall were you? Uh, by twelfth grade. By twelfth grade, I was about six seven, six eight. I think I reached my full potential I, a little bit into college, but uh, my my full height that a little bit into college, but about six eight. Okay. Yeah. Are you getting noticed by colleges? Yes. Remember any of the universities or colleges that were looking at you? I do. Uh, Arizona State, uh, University of Idaho, Washington State, uh, St. Mary's, Gonzaga, I believe. Um, some pretty, some pretty big names. Some competing schools. Yes. Yeah. At the time, did you have a favorite? I really didn't. Were you the typical high school basketball player? No. 
In what ways were you not? I just wasn't a, like, I wasn't a jock. I was built like a jock, but my mind worked differently. You see, I was the, I was the jock who was more interested with the kid in the back of the history class doing magic tricks. I was more interested in how I could get in with him uh, because I liked the way he dressed and I liked what he was doing and I liked like I liked the music he was listening to and I wanted to know more about him. Uh, I was the jock who didn't dress like a sports player. I dressed more along the lines of a punk rocker. I was the jock who spent his days as, as, as much, I, I was the jock who spent as much time outside of practice trying to learn a new trick on a skateboard as much as he could. I have always had an affinity and a love for and an interest for the eccentric things in life. So if you had to draw a comparison between, between yourself and someone in the NBA from a stylistic or music choices uh, standpoint, who would you pick? I guess I'd, I'd be a spinoff of Rodman, obviously. You know, he, uh, he, I might pale a little bit in comparison. However, you know, he was the black sheep. He, he swam upstream and he uh, wasn't afraid to share his likes of his interests. And neither was I at this time. Um, you know, I'd say Rodman. Does anything stand out to you in regards to how colleges were trying to reach out to you while you were still in high school? like sort of like a contrasting memory of my, like who I was at the moment or at the time when I was getting boxes and boxes of letters from colleges. Yeah. Talk to us about those boxes. Yeah. I would get boxes and, and, and manila envelopes full of college recruitment letters. And I can remember sitting in the class, just sort of like grabbing the box, not even looking at the letter and just thinking about where I was going to go skate the next day who was going to meet up at the skate spot and, and who was going to be trying, you know, what trick down what set of stairs or, you know, was I going to go be able to play my guitar in the, in the, in the, in the garage, you know, not that you'd given up on the dream of playing college ball, but you had some pressing matters as a, as a high school student. I, w I was indifferent about it. Uh, you, you know, I would be lying if I told you that at times, like I wasn't, completely engulfed in it, you know, after a good game and after you beat a, a, a high ranking or after you out, out, outplay a high ranking uh, player or opponent or team, you know, there's a certain like high you get from that. And there's a certain thrill you get from that. I just never, I, I never dreamt about it. When I look back on those days where basketball was getting ready to open up so many doors, I mean, so many doors and, and able to elevate me in so many different in so many different ways, I, I can recall never really closing my eyes and visualizing myself on the court. It was never there. Um, it was something I did, and it was something that allowed me to, you know, move forward. And it kept, in in a sense, it kept people pacified. Right? It, it kept people happy in the family. Chris is in college. Okay, cool. I don't have to worry about letting mom down. Um, or Chris is doing well at the AAU team. Okay, yeah, he's getting recruited by colleges. Okay, now mom doesn't have to stress about this, and I'm following in Tanya's footsteps. Like, I, right? I'm the, I'm the, I'm making everybody happy. But in the back of my mind, where I always saw myself was sort of in the California dream, the art scene, the music scene, skateboarding, uh, 
those were always my people. Although basketball had the potential to open up so many doors for you, what is it about playing basketball that really excited you? I just loved being good at anything. But I don't know to this day if I did it because I was forced to do it or if I really enjoyed doing it. I don't know, like, you know, there's something to be said for positive praise or just being good at something that you do. Uh, everybody likes free things. Everybody likes stuff and to be recognized. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's what I got out of it. I got some notoriety out of it. It made me feel like I wasn't this dirtbag kid who came from, you know, a less than fortunate background who wasn't as bad as things were. It, it gave me like, it, that's what it did really was it gave me an opportunity to shine. And I had felt for a long time in my life that there wasn't really any hope. So wherever I could find it, I was going to grab it. So you mentioned going to private school at some point during your high school career. And uh, that was through a well-known, but let's keep it secret, sponsor, even though sponsors aren't allowed in high school, uh, that allowed you to go to private school. But to do so, you also had to live with your grandfather. What was that like? That was a time where there was no, I didn't have anything. Like I was miserable. Basketball is all I had. I had a really, really, really militant coach along with, you know, the, the hard, the most hard Marine ever, ever made, which would be my grandfather. Uh, and I, I just, it was just like, wake up, go to school, go to practice, come home, eat, go to sleep. That was it. That was the extent. And, and, and that's really indicative to like, when I tell you it had like it was becoming my identity, that's how important it became in my family for me to play basketball it was okay. Now this kid is going to go here and he's going to go here. And now despite him wanting to be with his friends and where he's happy, we're going to pick him up, relocate him, put him up here, make him live with his grandfather and feed him basketball night and day, night and day, night and day, night and day. And it was a rough time for me. I, uh, like I said, there was nobody around. I didn't have any friends. There was nobody that I knew. I mean, there were there were a couple times where I would, you know, be able to get out and, and hang out with a friend like for a little while. But for the most part, it was it was a it was a terrible time for me living with my grandfather up there. To be clear, you love your grandfather, and in fact, you're wearing something of his today. What are you wearing? I am. I'm wearing his dog tag. Okay. So talk to me about it. It was it was tough to live by. A Marines rules in high school, but you still love the guy. Absolutely. And I love him more and more every day. And he, to, to me, is, is one of the figures that I would hope that every man and every woman, every child would have an opportunity to experience. He uh, grows on me exponentially throughout the years and continues. He just, he's, I'm just learning from him every day. You know, it's, it's, He's the kind of guy who you remember on your way home from work and you're having a tough day and you remember who he was and what he stood for and a lesson or something that he told you way back in the day sort of rings clear 
and he's there present with you. Um, he was an amazing man. He was a strict man, but he was from a different era. When we started this conversation today, you talked about father figures, and I don't even have to ask the question. I know he is one of those father figures for you. He is the patriarch. Were drugs a part of your life in high school? No, they weren't. I mean, I might have smoked pot once, and I might have drank a few times at a high school party. But other than that, man, I was just a clean, clean, cut, sober kid. Almost hard to believe about a skater boy from California that fell in love with basketball, but you were too busy. I was, I, you know, like I, I was, I was too busy. I was, I was too busy and had seen too much happen. I had seen quite a bit at this time in my life. I had seen, you know, violence at, at, at an all time high. And I had seen depression and drug use, uh, extend beyond what I ever thought was possible. You know, look, looking back, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if I ever really, I don't ever think I made the conscious decision to say, I'm not going to use drugs or I, I, I see what the drugs are doing to my mom and I got to stay away from them. What I was really trying to do was stay away from the life that I had been dealt. And what that did or what that gave me was a need to substitute what was going on in the house with activities, you know, outside of the house, which was like skateboarding, surfing, basketball, sports, anything like that. Like I just was an adventurer and I, 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 I lusted for things outside of my life. Uh, you know, it was never just a, a drug thing. It was a violence thing. It was oh, just a whole bunch of things. You know, a lot of people look at you, how tall you are, your athletic prowess and imagine, well, he was helped by his genetics quite a bit. But that's a half truth, right? Your family and your DNA and who you came from has affected you in a lot of different ways. Tell us a little bit about the pros and, and cons of kind of having the lineage or the DNA that you have. So I'm, a, I'm biracial. I'm, I'm, uh, my father was black and native and my mother obviously was, is white. Um, I grew up in a predominantly black household. And this caused or gave me insight into a world that most people who look like me don't really uh, so get an opportunity to uh, experience. But along with that experience, like you become a product of your environment and the things that, that you experience become a part of you and your behavior, your attitude, your understanding of social norms and whatnot. You know, you pick all those things up. And so it's been a double-edged sword for me because... Um, I can remember as a, as a young kid wanting to like, especially when I play baseball, when I first played baseball, I played baseball with the, with the, I was all, I was on a, a team where there were a lot of rich white kids. And although I fit the part, I looked like them. I didn't relate because I didn't know what, what was going on in their house wasn't going on in my house. You know, uh, I didn't speak like them. I didn't understand or, or think some of the things that they thought were cool were, were, were cool. I, you know, so I battled with that. And that was a really big thing for a kid. And even, even today, 
for me because I have knowledge of something, but it can be accepted somewhere else where the knowledge of the subject I have is looked down upon. And I'm caught a lot of times not knowing how to defend, not knowing if I should defend, not knowing if I should be offended, not knowing if I need to leave, uh, not knowing if I'm honest with somebody, I'll be shunned. Not knowing if I tell you honestly, hey, this is who I am, will you believe me? You know, those are those are things uh, that come with my lot. Those are things that come with the the lineage that I've been dealt dealt with, and it was hard as a, it was hard as a kid. Um, mostly because you know, as a kid, you just want to fit in. And uh, basketball, I experienced trouble with fitting in. Um, you know, as you get recruit, as, as you go to different schools, especially as me, as, as I went to some of the different schools, there was a richer white school that I went to where uh, I didn't quite fit in because of, you know, the way I dressed or what, what, who, how I spoke, what, what I, you know, who I hung around, who picked me up, the car I drove uh, or the car they drove. Uh, baseball, basketball, uh, just high school in general, crowd of people, which, you know, the one thing that never shunned me. Did your birth father and your mother face addiction issues? Yes. My father, uh, he, he, you know, to this day, I don't know much. I don't know as much as I'd like to know about him. Uh, through the years, it's sort of been a fleeting thought he he sort of escapes my memory more and more and more but what I do know of him was that he struggled uh very he had a rough time with drugs I, I believe his drug of choice was heroin he also was a big drinker um and ultimately that's what killed him my mother uh was addicted to drugs for most of, if not all of my teenage years and into my twenties. Um, she's done an amazing job by the way. She's, uh, she's really come a long way. Um, but yes, uh, addiction has played a really big part in my life. Uh, not only with myself, but you know, with my family. Chris, thank you for being here once again and continuing our second shot series. Ultimately, our viewers know that you ended up in prison and there's a story of your life after prison. But I want you to tell our audience one lesson you learned while you were in prison. It's the small things. You, you see somebody that's well put together and you wonder why your life isn't like, like their life. Especially if you you know are facing prison or you're getting ready to go into prison or you've experienced the violence and the drugs and the poverty that I had in, in my younger years. And so it's not uncommon for somebody like me to look at somebody and go, man, you know, I really wish I was like them. Uh, if you're anything like me, it's easy to forget that nobody wakes up like that. Nobody just wakes up put together. Nobody wakes up with all the answers. Um, people search and they string a lot of little things together that make up the big picture. And so for me, 
one of the biggest lessons I learned in prison and, you know, that I, that I carry with me all the times is that when I look at something, whether it be a painting or a person or anything that I'm inspired by to remember that it was created with one small beginning step and then the following small steps after. It's a continuing process. It's a con just a process, right? Uh, I learned about what a process is. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Second Shot. We're looking forward to sharing Chris's story in future episodes, so be sure to tune in and subscribe to us anywhere podcasts can be found.